at the ball game. Yo! Welcome to the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, InsiderBaseball.com. I'm Lou Blasi along with Brandon Cameron from Fantastics and InsiderBaseball.com. Cameron, I'm going to get that right, Brandon. It's just going to take me a little time. Hopefully by the All-Star break, I'll get that pronunciation down. <laughs> You're about to go for camera. But then it's cameramen, you know? So just yes. think of it like that, camera. No, no, and I do have that specific thought, but somehow it just always comes out with the yeah, longing. I get it. Yeah, yeah it, just, it just happens. Uh, head on over to InsideOfBaseball.com. You'll find past episodes of this podcast. This is a great place to start if you're just getting back into baseball because of uh, uh, the lockout ending. And uh, uh, by all means, check it out. It's a good way to get quickly reoriented with what you need to know as you enter your drafts. Uh, InsideOfBaseball.com, the baseball blog link is at the top of the page. Great preseason prep articles, analytics articles. This podcast, past episodes, they're all great. They're all help you get caught up quickly. And, of course, you can download the Draft Advisory Program, the free demo, or the Draft Advisory Program if you want to purchase. If you're a returning customer, by all means, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, the demo is free. All of this is free to non-subscribers, by the way, as you already know, if you're a non-subscriber and you're listening to the podcast. Uh, free demo. It's a fully functioning demo, and we'll give you some of our first projections uh, for players that uh, with, with the first edition of the software came out. And you can uh, look at your league's specifics in terms of roster uh, configuration and scoring configuration, see how it changes the top of the draft for you. But I want to get into this a little bit, and I want to start. We're going to talk a little bit later today about uh, Brandon's pitching strategy of finding cheap saves late, and I really love it, and we all kind of do it, or I did it, but I never thought of it quite that way, Brandon. So I love the way you put it because it kind of fossilized things for me a little bit. It's like, oh, I understand what I'm doing now. Like, I didn't understand what I was doing in these situations. <laughs> well, I think it's a great strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we'll get into it. I just feel like sometimes, you know, you're there kind of as the later rounds go on, the top pitchers are off the board and you're like, all right, I like these guys, but I don't really, you know, they're all the same to me. And that's where I tend to look at the strikeouts, which which we'll get into a little bit more. I want to start, however, with uh, a discussion of VAM. And those of you who are unfamiliar with our draft advisory program or us here at Fantastics, we have uh, VAM, which is value above mean. It's probably the centerpiece of the draft advisory program because what it allows you to do is it allows you to compare apples to dump trunks early in the draft because early in the draft, you're making decisions. Do I take the starting pitcher? Do I take the shortstop? Do I take the outfielder? Do I take the catcher? And you're trying to compare the value of different players across different positions when there's not much to compare them with otherwise. And VAM helps you do that. And it's based in position scarcity. It basically, it's a player, uh, it's a player's value within his position compared to the value within position of other players that are available for your draft. So it's going to give you an idea of who's more valuable, this starting pitcher or this outfielder. And those are really tough decisions to make. And we recommend using VAM for about the first 100 picks of your draft. And then you're going to start uh, drafting or buying based on your positional needs and your category needs and things like that. Uh, But VAM gives you a a leg up in these situations where, again, especially at the top of the draft, do I take the starting pitcher here? Do I take the outfielder? Do I take the middle infielder? What do I do? Uh, It gives you a one rating that will allow you to compare players of different positions. And I'll I'll let you talk about it a little bit, Brandon, before I get into last night setting keepers in my house league, my final keeper list in house league. I made a drastic change in what I was planning to do based on VAM within the draft advisory program. And I'll talk about that in a second, but uh, talk a little bit about VAM, how you use it perhaps. And and, and it, it is the basis of the draft advisory program, isn't it? Yeah, it's crucial because, you know, it's easy to just find rankings. You can find rankings um, anywhere. I mean, how many ranking systems out there sure. uh, just in general? And you can sort them by position and whatever you want to do. There's all sorts of rankings you can find. And it's e- it's easy to sort of figure out how you want to rank players, just who's going to end up with better stats than who. Um, but it, that is not all there is to, to drafting you know, a fantasy team, um, you know, position scarcity, as you mentioned, and, and, and categorical, you know, significance, all those things are, Mm -hmm. um, huge. So, you know, I, I take, for instance, um, to kind of put it in perspective, um, I have VAM up right now in standard five by five league and Jordan Alvarez, who fantastics projects this year to hit 286 with 40 home runs. Great season, right? Right. 286, 40 home runs. 
but he's zero VAM. The reason he's util only, you know, he's a DH, he's util only. So his value, if you're drafting compared to say a Trey Turner or a, you know, Fernando Tatis is completely different. You know, he, he's much less val. Like if you're, you have the first overall pick and obviously nobody's taking your Don Alvarez first overall, but there's a reason for that. And Van puts it into perspective. You're not taking your Don Alvarez, even though he might end up with a really good season because of what it means to your fantasy team. So essentially VAM is a ranking system for your fantasy team instead of just here's a ranking system of the best players. It, 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 it points out a couple of things that I think are important here, one of which, uh, like the rest of the draft advisory program, everything in the program is highly customizable to your league, your roster uh, configuration, which is important in VAM, and uh, your scoring systems and things like that. And there are templates involved there. So if you're going to go in a quick NFBC, you can set up the draft advisory program with the NFBC scoring system and roster set up really quickly and get started. And it's highly customizable. So VAM will take into account the value of the player within his position and the value of other players within their positions based on your specific roster configuration. That's very important. In my league, the house league that I was determining here, we had, we went a little, we're a little bit strange. We made some uh, configuration changes the last couple of years where we don't have a middle infielder and a corner infielder. Uh, right now we have uh, a utility player, which can be any hitter and a, I'm sorry, utility player, which has to be an infielder and a DH, which can be any hitter. So it's a, the configuration is a little bit different. And this, this happened on the pitching side for me. And on our pitching side, we go with four starting pitchers and three relievers, 12 team league. So uh, it just changes things up and it's going to change the value of the players and the position scarcity based on our league configuration. The draft advisory program takes that into account. The other thing it incorporates is position predictability. And I love this and nobody else is doing this. We all know instinctively that some positions are less predictable in other words in, in, than others. In other words, we know catchers are less predictable because they play a physically demanding position and they're dinged up all the time. So Sal Perez, we can look at a projection for Sal Perez, but we're going to wonder what's he going to be like in June? Is he going to have taken a foul ball off his bicep? Is that going to cut into his hitting a little bit? And with catchers, that happens a lot. With second baseman, that happens a lot. First baseman, are much more predictable because it's a less physically demanding position. Pitchers are not predictable, but starting pitchers are less predictable than relief pitchers. So it takes all of this into account. Those are huge. I love that. I love that aspect of it. And it's a little edge we get with Fantastics in the Draft Advisory Program that we don't get elsewhere. People don't consider that. You know, second basemen get beat up. You know, catchers get beat up. You know, third basemen get beat up. You know, outfielders and first basemen. And this is all quantified, Brandon. This is the thing about this that I love about the draft advisory program is it's very clinical and it's not just instinctual. Oh, yeah, catchers get beat up. So I'm going to downgrade them a little bit. No, it. Uh, Anthony predict, Anthony figured out the predictability of each position within 15% of their performance of last year, within 20, within 30% of their performance last year, and figured it into the program. So every player, every situation is specifically quantified. It's not just, it's not just writing it down on a cocktail napkin while you're going through the draft. Yeah, and that's that's crucial because it also helps you figure out your ranking system within each position. You know what I mean? So yes, you're, you're, you know, you have a strategy to go in and uh, say, maybe I want this many hitters by the sixth round. I want this many pitchers, whatever it may be. Um, But first of all, it, as the draft goes on, you're going to get a better feel for where you want to go. And that VAM is dynamic. It will adjust as the draft goes on as, as the economy changes and a pick comes off the board, the VAM on the remaining players changes factoring in the things that you were talking about. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just incredibly important. And like I said, it, it, the reason I brought up, uh, the Jordan Alvarez example is because Jordan Alvarez is, is could end up with one of the better hitting seasons among all hitters. Um, and you know, we even project him to have a great season, 40 home runs, but again, his value compared to, a again a Ronald Acuna or a Ozzy Albies or whatever it may be is so different because in this league that I have in uh standard five by five with one utility position he he just 
slots right into that util only, and that's all he can play. Right. This league has middle and corner infield, and obviously position. So, you know, Ozzy Albies, for instance, can play second base, can play middle infield, he can play utility. There's multiple places you can put him, and he, so his value is much higher than Jordan Alvarez's, and it factors in obviously what the, what the projections are for what he's going to do, but also what he plays. And as you mentioned, you know, the, the, the position and what that position will tell mm-hmm. you. And I mean, it's just, it's just, like you said, you don't get it anywhere else and there's so much put into it. And this isn't just willy nilly. I mean, this is statistical based. I mean, this is based right. off, um, you know, da- data, not just, uh, oh, I think that this catcher is, you know, less valuable or more valuable, whatever you want to say. It's, it's based all off data. So um, it's right there for you. I mean, we give you the data basically in one category. Yeah, we don't tout Anthony enough. He's a master statistician and uh, has a Wall Street background. So this mm-hmm. is not, again, we're not ham and egging this. This is uh, all quantifiable. And if you go to one of the best things, and I haven't checked the free demo. I got to check the free demo. But if you go to the Draft Advisory Program, there's a help button that, where you can get help on everything in the program. And it helps you figure out how to use it, how to best use it, and what the principles are uh, behind it. It's a great section just to read on its own to teach you a lot about analytics and how we work at Fantistics. And it tells you all of these things about position position predictability, statistical predictability, and it gives you all the tables with all the specific numbers on how much more uh, predictable first baseman. By the way, first baseman are more predictable on a year-to-year basis by far than any other position. And it's probably because, uh, and DH isn't locked in there because there aren't a lot of specific just DH guys. Uh, but I'm guessing DH is probably pretty predictable as well because, again, it's not a physically demanding position. Catchers are not predictable. Second baseman are less predictable, even less predictable than shortstops. Third baseman is surprisingly less predictable than some uh, players. So y- you actually get a full picture of, of what's going on. The other thing about this is VAM teaches us, and it's taught us for years, that we need to place value on players that are really good at weak positions where you're getting separation. And we've been banging this drum, Brandon, for years with starting pitching. And people have been saying, wait on starting pitching, wait on starting pitching. It's unpredictable. Uh, you know, you never know. You know, one pitch, the guy's going to go down. You're going to lose 10 starts or whatever it is. And a lot of that is true. But when you get to the top of the position in a weak position, it is very important to get those top players because that gets you, gives you separation. And it's important. And that's somewhat obvious with starting pitching, but among the power players, uh, Brandon, we think there's a ton of power out there and we can wait. And there is a ton of power out there, but there is value on guys who are elite and at the top and give you some separation at that position. There is some value there, even though power is very deep. The guys who give you a little bit of separation at top are that much more valuable. And it's important to note that. And if you approach your draft saying, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to find power later, which there, again, you mentioned, you can find 25 home runs deep into the draft. You start to get to a point though, where the batting average will drag down and you're risking a lot of other things, a lot of other categorical, you know, issues. So if you say draft uh, Freddie Freeman in the second round or the first round, depending on, you know, what your draft is, how many teams there are, um, you know, you know, you're getting everything and he doesn't steal bases, but if you're, you're, you're getting power and you're getting a great average, if you say, I'll wait on power, not wait on power because you're going to get some power early, but I'll get some power later. Then again, you're probably going to end up with a bunch of guys who hit 220 or 240 yeah, right. and you're, you're hurting yourself in batting average. If you can find some power early with those guys who also are going to help you out with average and ribbies and runs and all that stuff. Um, you know, you stacked your team early on with all the categories and your batting average isn't going to suffer. All right. So I teased Brendan earlier about why this came up because it came up to me uh, last night and I wanted to talk about it and get people familiar with the draft advisory program and VAM, which is, uh, uh, unique to Fantastics and inside of baseball.com. And it's one of, it's perhaps the cornerstone of, of what we do here. And it came down for me last night, Brandon, with a situation I had been thinking for weeks as I led up to the deadline in my league about which second starting pitcher to keep. And I had Logan Webb and I had Chris Sale and Kevin Gaussman, who uh, uh, was in there. And of course, Hugh Darvish on the outside of that. I wasn't really considering him, but I was thinking, which one of these guys do I keep? And I had concerns about Sale 
And, you know, obviously coming back from Tommy John surgery, although in the last couple of days, I've got really kind of excited about it. He's got some pitching under his belt and uh, uh, he seems healthy. And and if you look at his underlying numbers from last year, they're actually pretty strong in a number of different cases. And it, he could have he could put together another Chris Sale type season. So while I was leery about him, I was kind of reluctant to let him go. And there was Kevin Gaussman, who I'm really leery about going to the American League East and pitching in Toronto and New York and Baltimore and Boston, and probably a little bit more so than I should be. But still, it bothered me a little bit. So I was leaning towards Logan Webb. And uh, Logan Webb pitching in San Francisco, but I had qualms about him because as a second keeper at starting position, not a big punch out guy, though he punches out an adequate amount of people. He's basically a ground ball based guy, doesn't walk guys, keeps balls in the ballpark, everything I want. Uh, But, you know, less of a track record than a Chris Sale or even a Kevin Gaussman at this point. So I was, you know, just juggling those three guys and thinking about it a little bit as I was going through and, and, and looking at fan graphs and just trying to make a decision on them. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at the draft advisory program and I have Liam Hendricks and I'm not a closer guy. I, I mean, I had him last year because it just came up in the draft that way. And I ended up with a, a solid closer, which I don't normally do. I like to uh, put my bullpen together as the year goes on. It's not my favorite draft strategy to go for an elite closer. Then I'm looking at the VAM on Liam Hendricks and Liam Hendricks is a 9.99. And that mean, doesn't mean anything without, um, uh, relativity and and relating it to other players. Webb, in the meantime, was a 1.0 VAM. Gaussman was a 1.20. And Sale was a 0.53 VAM under my format with my pitching configuration and scoring. Only 11 pitchers had um, a five or more VAM overall under my league configuration. So, and Hendricks came in number three overall on pitchers. Josh Hader was number one at 10.67. Garrett Cole was number two. I think it was 10.33 or someone in there. And under, under the relief pitchers, only three were, uh, only four had a five or more VAM and three of them were being kept in my league. That's the other thing. As you load in your keepers in the draft advisory program, it changes the economy in the draft and changes the VAM for the players that are left available. So three of the top four closes are being kept. I've got Leon Hendricks. I'm not keeping him and I'm keeping Webb Gaussman or Sale in the meantime. And this just points out that big fat glut of starting pitching that is after the top. And what the program was telling me Listen, you can get something like Webb Gaussman a sale pretty easily later in the draft if you're not too attached to those particular names, but you're not going to get Liam Hendricks anywhere. You should keep Liam Hendricks, and so that's what I decided to do. And let's be clear, this uh, you know I we, we've talked about this before. The uh, draft software will update as news comes in. Yes. Uh, so things are going to change. Um, you know, I actually just did my update while we were sitting. Yeah, here I did it this I, morning. Yeah. And again, let's, I, I want to say that it's like, takes like two seconds, right? You know, some, some software updates sometimes I know that can turn people off. It takes like two seconds. So you don't have to worry about that at all. Um, I have some interesting things as, as it just updated. I, I noticed by the way, <laughs> yes, um, but- <laughs> and this is going to happen on a multiple, multiple times a day basis here up to this point, it's been updating. And a lot of that has been ADP information because you can look at ADP on the draft advisory program and you can get it for NFBC or CBS or Yahoo or a blended ADP. So that information is updated pretty constantly. But now that we have news flow and people are signing and trades are being made and we're getting a bit better idea of playing time and role changes and things like that, these projections will change on a daily basis. Yeah. And uh, so right now, Liam Hendricks does have that value. That might change. He's, I mean, not, it's not going to dramatically change. He's going to remain uh, for all intents and purposes, the top one or two closer in the game um, as we enter the, into the season. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's entirely important and uh, something that I've actually changed my strategy um, in line with VAM in recent, in the last couple years in that um, I used to be very much more like you in that I would cobble together, you know, my relief pitchers to a certain degree um, throughout the season and kind of figure it out. Um, and I have started to go more towards, I want an elite closer. My, my uh, draft, I just wrapped up on Friday. I have Liam Hendricks. I drafted him in the third round. I mean, that's where we are now, a 15 team league. And I drafted him in the third round. Um, and actually I I will say, I wasn't actually going in thinking I was going to take Liam Hendricks. Um, 
I, I felt there was value at, with him at that point, which is hilarious. I mean, when did, you know, years ago, I never would have considered a closer in the third round value. Um, but I kind of liked it anyways. And, and I have Edwin Diaz in another league. I mean, yep. I, I have Ryan Presley. So I have gone with the elite closers now um, because I do think the game has changed a little bit. So the fantasy game I'm referencing has changed a little bit. Their value has changed a little bit. Um, and so, yeah. And, and again, I know we, we kind of say this over and over again, but you can customize your league settings, which is going to change all this. There's certainly possible in some leagues that right. relief pitchers aren't as valuable. Um, put in your settings and the VAM will change with it. But uh, it, yes, it will change with the settings, whatever your league is, and it, it's going to change the value based on some league formats. I think what it's telling me in most cases here, what it's telling us in most cases here are there are very few elite closers. There are a lot of closers and there are guys who are going to get saves and we can still cobble things together. But when you're looking at a Josh Hader or a, a Liam Hendricks and they are worth a little bit more in draft capital and worth a little bit more in keepers because they are solid closers and you're going to get what you pay for which is not true of God, almost any other closer. Although, you know, the Iglesias of the world, Edward Diaz, who you talked about, I had a, play, a guy in my league who I know uses the software who kept Emmanuel Kloss in there. And it just shows you the value of stable, established closing pitchers, Blake Trinan in LA, but his ADP is coming up. That's being reflected there, but there aren't many valuable. It's at a weak position. Elite guys, solid guys are that much more valuable. And that's what BAM teaches us time and time and time again. And I would say with closer, it's not even always so much just purely about skill set. Now, those guys do have elite skill sets. It's also about leash. What is their leash? Right. Um, and it, it it's not only hard to find elite skill sets at the closer positions, it's hard to find guys who you feel confident are going to hold the position either throughout the whole season or at least for a good portion of the season. So we can get, you know, down into those tier of closers that, okay, I think they have the job right now, but I'm not sure. It's like if they struggle in April, they could lose the job by the end of the month. Well, I mean, I guess this time it's uh, starting. Well, still, you know, <laughs> look, sure. we're starting April 7th. So, you know, if they struggle the first three weeks of the season, they could be out of the job by May. And, you know, Liam Hendricks not impossible, but you know, the chances of him not having the job by May are so slim. Whereas the chances of, uh, you know, say a Rowan wick with the Cubs, you know, mm -hmm. if he struggles in May, I mean, he doesn't, you know, he has no claim to that job. Um, and so that's again, where the value of the elite closers above the mean is so much greater than say the value of, those good starters, but there's a lot of them, <laughs> and the, yeah. the, there is there's a good supply of them out there. It's supply and demand, I guess, a little bit. You mentioned Anthony's Wall Street background; it's a little bit of just economics. Sure, I mean there are a lot of parallels if you start looking at uh, uh, trying to look at uh, you know asset classes and 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 even stocks and and ball players. A lot of the an analysis is very similar. And a lot of the uh, uh, cognitive biases and a lot of the uh, philosophies around it are very similar. You know, the value of a player versus the value of a stock, for example. I need uh, to call a lot of these to help me with my brokerage account. <laughs> Maybe you should. <laughs> <laughs> and he's really good at these things. And also it points out that we should pay more attention to relief pitchers in baseball in 2020 because if I'm, I'm 2022, because if I'm looking at Josh Hader or Liam Hendricks, for example, I'm looking at Liam Hendricks, we're projecting 69 innings pitched and uh, 93 strikeouts, which is pretty much almost half a very good starter with very good ratios on top of it. I mean, there's a lot of strikeouts involved there and he's coming out of the relief pitcher position. These days, if you're getting 180 innings out of a starter, that's a lot of innings out of a starter. And if you're getting 200 strikeouts out of a starter, that's a lot of strikeouts out of a starter. Liam Hendricks is pretty much, and we used to dismiss closers as one category players, but the way baseball has evolved in terms of usage of starting pitchers, Liam Hendricks is basically half a starter on top of getting the saves and on top of giving you great ERA, ERA and whip. You know, and there's another factor that I've just noticed in the last couple of years, which is uh, we still get closers that can, you know, save 40, 45 games, even, 
you know, possibly 50, you know, in a really incredible year. Um, but it's more like Liam Hendricks had 38 saves last year. We project him for 37 this year. That's, that's good and everything. That's great. It's not like going to compete with the all time saves record right. or anything like that. Part of that is teams have adjusted, you know, teams have changed a little bit and they've started, you know, it used to be like the, these elite closers is like, oh, you only get in the game. When, when you're in a save situation. Right. Yes. It's not quite that way anymore. They'll use, you know, the White Sox would use Liam Hendricks in generally safe situations, but not always. If it's a tie game in, you know, the ninth inning, if it's a tie game in the extra in extra innings or whatever it may be, you know, if it's an important game, whatever it may be, they use him to because he's their best pitcher in their bullpen. Um, and that's true kind of for all those elite guys. So it, 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 you know, it lowers the amount of total saves. I mean, I'd say throughout the league uh, for these top guys, but also it puts them in situations where they get a few more wins, if you've noticed. And not that you're ever, you know, drafting Liam Hendricks for wins. He had eight wins last year, though. Yeah. Um, you know, so you pick up more wins. And again, we know wins are down for starters because of the way they're used. So even that is a category where, you know, if Liam Hendricks ends up with eight wins, I mean, you know, that's the halfway to the good starters in this league, like you mentioned. So he really has that value compared to what like how starters are used now. Um, that is, it's just the game has changed and his value in the elite, the elite closers has changed. So that's a kind of a little thing that I think we have to get again out of our mindsets. If we've been playing fantasy baseball for years, that closers are you know, our saves, no wins. It's right. kind of changed. They do pick up more wins than we've been used to. Yeah, and I would category, argue they're not one category guys. No. And I would argue, and I know we might talk about this, but with, you know, the shortened spring training, the way things have gone, the lack of reps, that might even be more prevalent early in this season. Cause I don't think starters are going to get as many wins in the early going. And in my particular format, which is head to head weekly with daily transactions, Liam Hendricks is going to give me an extra start. He's going to pitch four innings a week on an average week. He's probably going to three to four innings pitch. He's going to sit in. That's pretty much a start at that point. He struck out 113 guys last year. He has 122 strikeout season on his list. Again, when you're comparing that to a starting pitcher, especially when you're getting the ERA and whip that you're getting out of him, it's a pretty good guy to have on your staff. And he comes out of a position you can still take four starters. And in my particular case, it doesn't take up a starting pitching slot. Plus, when we get down to player A and player B, if I'm looking at the projections here, if I had this situation and the guy that I was considering keeping was Josh Hader, for example, I would have taken Josh Hader over those three guys. That would have been my first impulse. Liam Hendricks and Josh Hader, according to our projections, aren't all that dissimilar. We've got them projected for 69 and 70 innings pitched. Josh Hader at 70. Liam Hendricks at 69. Josh Hader with 103 strikeouts. Uh, Liam Hendricks with 93. And again, he struck out 113 last year. We love Josh Hader because he's that hybrid, that uh, that heavy reliever. The guy is going to give you a lot of innings and a lot of strikeouts with great ratios. And of course, in the last couple of years, he's added saves to that as well. He's a great player. Everybody loves to have Josh Hader. Liam Hendricks isn't that far off. He isn't that far off at all from Josh Hader. No, yeah. And um, again, I, I think uh, you've I've seen kind of throughout the drafts that I've done it go either way. Uh, Hader taken first uh, among the closers or Hendricks taken first. Um, in that draft, I took Hendricks. Hader was taken like six or seven picks earlier. And it's part of the reason I felt like, man, there's some value here on Hendricks because you know, by the time a 15 team league, I was in the middle of the pecking order, sixth, uh, sixth draft. So by the time it was going to get back to me, um, th those other closers would, could be gone. And um, I just feel like Hader and Hendricks are really close. I think a lot of people probably have Hendricks above Hader. I like Hader more than Hendricks, um, but I mean, it is by a sliver. Um, I, I really either one of them to me it's one one a and one b um they're they're their own tier in my mind uh but they're right there neck and neck with each other and again this does factor in the leash again i, I you know i think that that's when you're when we're analyzing closers and again mm -hmm. this is factored into vam is just sort of what's their value in holding that role sort of throughout the season 
and their value to their team, all that, all that matters. And Liam Hendricks, Josh Hader, uh, Josh Hader might get traded. I'll, you know, throw that out there. Uh, but wherever he ends up, he's going to be a closer. Right. Um, and so they're, they're, they, their usage might change. Josh, they did the Milwaukee has no hesitation throwing Josh out for four outs or, or five outs. And in other situations, he gets traded. He goes to another situation. The philosophy might be different. They might limit him to a ninth inning clean type of situation. Uh, you, you know, you don't know what the role is and how they're going to want to use him, whether they will put him in the seventh and allow him to get five outs on a particular day uh, like Milwaukee likes to do. So even with the trade, his role could change a little bit. It's true. Yeah. And and if he gets traded, it will change in our software. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. that, that would be. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, that, that speculation, the rumors are out there. He, I, I think if he does get traded, it might be in season. They might want to see how Devin Williams is looking coming back from his injury. Um, if, if he looks healthy, they feel like he could take the closer position. I mean, this is all speculation. We don't know this, yep. um, but I, it's possible. Liam Hendricks isn't getting traded. Um, that that's almost for sure. You know, granted though, I, I just, I had Craig Kimbrell last year who was dominant with the Cubs and then all of a sudden he gets traded into a non-closer position. That's pretty rare that you have that dominant of a closer, um, get traded out of a closer position, but it can happen. And obviously that was tough for Kimbrel owners. Um, but that's kind of besides the point. Again, the, I think with closers, I really factor in leash and, and just sort of what, what is their role and how likely are they to maintain the closer role into July, August, you know, even through the end of the season. So the draft advisory program performed its function for me beautifully and, and Van performed its function for me beautifully in that I had certain biases coming into my draft of my, my uh, willingness to build a bullpen and not spend up for top end relievers, but I wasn't paying attention to how valuable top end relievers are compared to the rest of the position at this point and compared to the starting pitchers that I was weighing him against the program, not only did that for me it did did it for me in a highly quantifiable way there was a huge difference in van between these guys there's a huge difference in adp as well because chris sale logan webb kevin gaussman love them all i'll be looking for them in the draft as we go and i will be happy to put them back on my roster as they go but they're in that vast middle of starting pitching where you can find a lot of comparable guys there aren't a lot, a lot of guys comparable to liam hendricks and there's only one available josh Hader, in, in my draft because of the way keepers work and the format works and Hader would be got Hader would be a, a probably a top six pick this year so i'm not going to get a shot at josh Hader. liam hendricks it, it what it did for me was cut through my biases and gave me a clinical quantifiable view of the relative value of Liam Hendricks, a relief pitcher, a closer against three starters that I was considering. And it was so significant. It caused me to rethink my thinking. You're not always going to do that because first of all, the differences aren't always going to be as dramatic as they were in this case. You might be looking at a VAM difference of, of one or, you know, less than one, and you can make your own decision based on other factors that you think are important. But in this case, it pointed out to me a value difference that I hadn't arrived to, hadn't arrived at on my own. And, you know, I, I think it's a good move. I feel really good about it because you always want elite players. We always want elite players because that's what gives us separation. And, you know, again, I think a lot of times there's so much in the draft software that I would say, you know, it's another tool. It's another tool. With VAM, I, I would argue it's more than that. I, I mean, I would argue that it is the tool um, above all because, uh, it, again, I just feel like it is your draft rankings, right? right? And, 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 again, you you know, it's not dogma. Um, if you have differences of opinion, if you feel, you know, you really like a guy, you really feel confident in him, sure. you have other, this isn't telling you you have to do anything. Um, but it certainly is uh, something that just is your draft rankings as opposed to just here are the rankings on this site. Here are the rankings on this site. And, and you know, we'll give you those too. Um, but VAM is sort of just like, this is for your draft, how to rank the players. Um, and, uh, and you take it from there. And, you know, again, that's where, like, if it's close, uh, we were just talking about Hader or Hendricks. I think the, you know, draft rankings have Hendricks above hate or sorry, Hader above Hendricks. Not by much, but yeah, not by much. And that it's so close that if you really like Hendricks, nothing wrong with taking Hendricks over Hader. I mean, um, certainly that's an easy argument to be made, but you know, in your case, you mentioned it, it was a drastic difference between those players and their VAM. And so, 
um, that's where you still that's where you really have to say, oh, man, there, there's something maybe I have to look into a little further. If if you came into it saying confidently, I have this guy, you know, the starting pitcher above the relief pitcher. Um, it, it was such a drastic difference that that's telling you something. And people who have the program who look at the demo or whatever are going to see different numbers on the 12-team 5x5 than I had because my numbers were dynamic and it had reflected the current economy of the league in that my particular scoring, first of all, my particular roster config configuration, but we also do six keepers in a 12-team league that's 72 players off the board, changes the economy drastically. So these numbers reflect my economy right now because, again, uh, if we're looking at Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks, Iglesias, Edward Diaz, Klaas, uh, of those guys, only Josh Hader is available in my draft. All those other guys were protected. So that VAM changes dynamically as each player comes off the board. That is hugely important. Don't underrate that because, again, people prepare for the clean universe. They compare for that. They they prepare for that first draft pick where everybody's available and they get their values based on that and never change off that. But the problem is, and how many times have you been caught during the draft where all of a sudden, wow, I didn't expect six starting pitchers to go halfway through the second round. And all of a sudden your economy has changed drastically and you're working again on the back of a cocktail napkin or you're working on instinct where the draft advisory program is giving you these values as each pick comes off the board. So you're starting to see this shift in value for certain players and you're ahead of it. And that's important. It keeps track of all this stuff for you. And again, I've said this before. I feel like, yeah, it does the work for you that that work you're trying to do either in your head or on a cocktail napkin. um, It's doing that work for you. I'm interested. Your yours is a slow draft, right? Yes. So I'm interested. Then where does Josh Hader go? With now Hendricks off the board as a keeper, Hader's even more valuable, yes. right? I believe. I believe he'll be a top five or six pick. Yeah. See, I mean, and that's. And again, my league's a little unique here because we have certain things about keepers and we have certain teams that you can't keep players from year to year. So the whole team goes back into the draft every year to keep some good players in the draft and that type of thing. And Josh Hader is on Milwaukee, which is one of those teams. So he'll be available. Uh, But yes, he's extremely valuable at this point. Looking at the closing landscape in my league right now, he's extremely valuable. Yeah. And that's just something that, you know, I mean, you're not going to think that... um, you're not going to think in most cases Josh Hader's a first round pick, but um, in obviously in keeper leagues things are different. First round means a little bit different, but just in general, this is telling you um, in your league. Well, based second, on the he's a, his ADP is fourth round. So, right. how many keepers do you have to have in a league before Josh Hader is a first round pick if he's available? I mean, if you're going four keepers deep, five keepers deep, and Josh Hader's available there, he's a first round pick. Right. Yeah, and especially when. You've got a couple other elite closers off right. the board already. You know yeah. his his the positional scarcity um, becomes even more valuable because there you know are even less of them out there, and so haters' value above the mean of the guys that are out there is so much higher um, than say another starting pitcher, or another outfielder, whatever it may be. All right, uh, that's a draft advisory program. I just wanted to talk to you about VAM and how it, I gave, wanted to give you a real world example of how it changed my thinking and how it works and why it's so important on a number of different levels. It's again, I think it's the cornerstone of the draft advisory program. Again, if you're not familiar with it, free demo at insideofbaseball.com. Download it, get it set it up, get it set up, set it up with your league and your specific roster and scoring formats, and see how it changes. If you have a standard twelve uh, team five by five, you're going to get uh, those ratings and those rankings. And you're still going to get the insight of some great projections where we've had like a 70 plus percent uh, success rate in predicting the position of a player, the the direction of a player's performance from year to year. Uh, we've been very successful with the projections. It's worthwhile for the projections alone, but the draft advisory program around it, extremely valuable, extremely helpful. Uh, go, It's a free demo. It's a free download and it's, it sets up really quickly. So go have some fun with it while you're waiting for uh uh, games to start here and and uh, waiting for more news flow and free agents to sign. I want to get into breaking down some players here for the podcast because I want to give it to the podcast listeners here. And I loved your philosophy that you presented that we wanted to talk about today. And why don't you lay it out for people? Yeah, uh, I, I feel like there is we, we talked about the, the glut of starting pitchers. Um that can be diff- this is once you get past the first few rounds. Um, we know the elite starting pitchers and we know they all provide strikeouts. Um, so once you get past that, however you approached 
the top of your draft, whether you went heavy on starting pitcher or you didn't and you're waiting on starting pitcher, you get to a point. And I think, you know, in a 12 team league, it's about the eighth, more like the ninth, 10th round where it's like, okay, there's a bunch of these starting pitchers I like. Uh, You know, there's some high risk with almost all of them, whether it's injury history, whether it's lack of innings, whether it's, you know, their ERA, you know, ratio risks. That's when I start to say, do they strike guys out? Do they have swing and miss stuff? Are they, do I feel confident that at the very least they're going to get me strikeouts because you're taking risks with, with most of those pitchers. So you're, you know, you may end up with a guy, one of the guys on this list, Tyler Molly, um, who, and, and Molly's not a great example because he's more of an eighth rounder guy. I don't know if that's really a late rounder sleeper. Maybe I went a little bit um, early on him, but he's a guy that's like last year he had a high ERA, which I think was some bad luck. Um, uh, not a high ERA. It was in the threes, but, um, you know, he has a ERA risk because of several factors. But I feel confident that Molly's going to strike guys out if he's on the mound. He's got strikeout stuff. He's proven that he can be a strikeout pitcher. So at the very least, I feel like I'm getting strikeouts. And I just feel like that puts these guys a little bit above. So as you get to those to that level of the draft, I think you start to look at strikeouts as as sort of the more reliable, predictable stat. Position at this position at starting pitcher, it, it comes down to uh, in a lot of cases, it comes down to ERA and it comes down to whip and, and just pitching well. And a lot of times not undoing the good work of the top end of your rotation is basically what you're looking for. You're looking for, for safety. There's volatility in starting pitchers in this vast middle of starting pitching, and it's all about sequencing. It's about homers you give up, when you give them up, whether you give them up with one runner on base or two runners on base, which goes back to my philosophy don't walk guys. Strike out some guys, keep the ball in the ballpark. That's what I'm looking for, especially from this vast middle of guys. So when you get the strikeouts there, it increases your margin for error on that sequence of returns because you're going to get yourself out of some situations with a punch out that you can't get if you're not a punch out guy. It's a basic skill set, especially in 2022. It's a basic skill set for a pitcher to be able to punch guys out. So you like them and you're right. That's a highly predictable stat. You're at least going to get your strikeouts from him. What you hope he doesn't give up six runs in the start. And, you know, you want to avoid those guys. That's what we're looking for on the next level after this, right? We look for strikeouts. There are some strikeout guys who are very walk and home run oriented too. You want to stay away from them a little bit. You still want to be calm on walks and home runs. But if you're getting strikeouts from a guy and he's going to get enough innings pitched, he's going to contribute strikeouts. You know you're going to get that from him. And that's very valuable, especially in these middle rounds. Yeah, so it's it's kind of one of those situations where if you're weighing a couple guys, um, you know, and, and we could go to the extreme with the non-strikeout guys, the Kyle Hendricks, the Marco Gonzalez sort of a guys, it, you know, those guys have the similar risks that these other guys do. And we saw Kyle Hendricks last year after years of a, a really solid ERA, um, it was bad last year. Yeah. And so that risk is pretty you know, pretty common among all those pitchers. First of all, we have, we always have the luck stats, which are an issue. So you're always going to deal with the fact that in any given year, they could have a bad BABIP, you know, they could have a, a troublesome home run to fly ball rate. And, you know, with pitchers, that is more um, important because uh, smaller sample size, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so as, as opposed to hitters, Let's say so. Anyways, you know you're taking that risk anytime you you got those guys any at any point in the draft, but certainly in those middle portions. But with Kyle Hendricks versus a say a Tyler Molly or something, um, both of them have the risk of kind of hurting you if they just have a down season. But you're getting the strikeouts out of Tyler Molly, and you just know that, and that's a predictable stat. And uh, n- not only does it you know, make me feel like, oh, well, they have a skill set that could lend to, uh, you know, more a, a better ERA or, or whip that that's not even really what I'm referring to here. I'm just saying that the risk is there for all these guys, but there isn't risk in their strikeouts. Um, right. You know, obviously always risk if they get hurt and, you know, they don't give you the innings you need. But uh, when they're out there, I just know that Tyler Molly is going to be more of a 10K per nine guy, maybe even 11K per nine guy. Kyle Hendricks is going to be a 7K per nine guy. 
Right. And that, that's one of the more predictable stats on the board. Strikeouts, you're going to get them. And by the way, that performance is supported. 11.4% swinging strike, a chase rate of 30%, a, a CSW of 29.3. Those are solid strikeout numbers. He has the skill set. This wasn't a fluke. It's not unsupported. He's definitely going to strike out guys. The concern with him, how many guys is he going to walk? How many homers is he going to give up? And what's going to be the sequence of those? Again, solo homers, two or three run homers, what's it going to be? And he's susceptible to that. But in this price range, that's exactly what you're balancing. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point. You you brought this up, which is um, it's not just purely who's the elite strikeout guy. I mean, you can go find Denelson Lamette. Uh, who's an elite, elite strikeout guy. But the risks are so great with Denelson Lamette that obviously I'm not saying just draft the strikeout guys. Like, you, you know, there are other factors involved. And you mentioned walks and home runs. That is the one of the first things I look at, you know, after I determine s- that he's a strikeout guy. Um, and then I'm going to look at, yeah, what are his walks? What are his home runs? Uh, you know, how many home runs does he give up? And so um, you have to factor in those things as well. Um, but again, once you get into these later rounds, you know, Tyler Molly, yeah, he's, yep. he's certainly had the walks, um, you know, in 2020, it was over 10%. Last year, he got it down to 8.4%. Um, I can live with 8.4% from him. It'd be great if he could get it down to say 6% or something like that. I can live with 8.4% because I feel confident in the strikeouts. Um, and you know, he doesn't even really give up elite contact, um, Molly's a guy, we get off on the Molly tangent, he could use another pitch. Uh, He had a changeup earlier in his career. If he could just develop a better, it was terrible when he had it. If he could just develop a better changeup with his 94-mile-per-hour fastball, um, I really think he could, that that would help him a lot. That's a side point. Um, But yeah, I mean. He's young enough, so that could happen too. Something he gets, he talks to somebody, there's a bullpen session, someone gives him a tip on the changeup, and all of a sudden he drops a mile an hour. It might make a big difference. This is what the thing is with young pitchers and why you bet on strikeout guys to an extent. It's just basically, it's about volatility, isn't it? Tyler Miley is a guy, if he gives you a four ERA, that's fine because you're not, when you're drafting him for the starting position, starting pitching position that you're drafting him for, you're not looking for elite starting pitching. What you're looking at is give me a bunch of punch outs and don't kill me, right? Don't give up the six runs in the outing. Give me five innings and a three run outing. Give me five innings and a two run outing. I'm perfectly happy with that. That's you got to decide the role that the player is going to fit. And Tyler Malley fit, fits that type of role. The guy who's not going to undo the good work of the top end of your rotation. That's there, what you're looking for. There were rumors as soon as the lockout ended that, that the Mets were talking to the Reds about a trade. Obviously now that the Mets traded for Chris Bassett, that's unlikely that they're going to acquire Molly. But man, I was thinking, you know, you're talking about before, if he just talks to us about, you get him in a pitching room with Scherzer and DeGrom. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, oh, he, I would have loved, I not, not only getting out of great American ballpark and yeah, you know, that but, alone, just get out right. of Cincinnati. But man, I just felt like if you get him on that Mets pitching staff, he could be, you know, a top starter, you know, fantasy. I um, mean, I have him on a league in one league. So, um, yeah, no, uh, but that's kind of a side point. But like you said, yeah, um, I do think, yeah, he's able to develop even more. But what I like right now is he does have really three pitches. He's got his fastball and then a slider. And then he, he has a splitter that he mostly uses against lefties. But uh, all three pitches generate whiffs. All three pitches can be strikeout pitches. Um, and I think that is something also to look at only because hitters get tape on pitchers. And if, if there's a pitcher who has really only one pitch, that was an elite strikeout pitch, you know, got a lot of punch outs, um, you know, hitters can adjust to that and maybe, you know, cut down on some of the strikeouts and, um, in future seasons, but Molly, I'm not concerned about that at all because he can strike guys out in different ways and different counts and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I really like Tyler Molly in that case. And like I said, he's more of an eighth round guy. So he of of these guys that kind of are the guys I'm targeting as those strikeout guys, he's maybe at the top of them. And it's not somebody that you can necessarily wait too long on. A lot I do think a lot of people like Tyler Molly. Um, but it's just, yeah, he he's one of those guys where if you did, if you feel like I, you know, I didn't get one. I didn't get too many of those elite starters. Maybe you went only one starter by the point you get to Molly and you went heavy, heavy in hitting, picked up a couple relief pitchers and you're sitting there in the eighth round of a 15 team league. And you're like, all I've got is Max Scherzer. 
I need, I need some more pitching help. And you're looking at Tyler Molly or somebody, you know, who isn't, you know, as likely to get strikeouts, but maybe has a good ERA. I'm going Molly. I mean, that's where I want to get because that's, I feel like I feel comfortable in the strikeouts there. And I feel like that puts my pitching staff in a lot better situation. And I want to get people, this is a point I want to make. I don't make it often enough. I think, especially with pitchers, we get enamored with the season long stats, especially here in the preseason where we're looking at a full season of stats and evaluating a player based on that. And it's, it's valid uh, to a large degree. There's no doubt about it, but with starting pitchers, we get 33 starts get to know the game logs a little bit, especially if you're troubled about a particular pitcher or you're having a hard time deciding about a particular pitcher. I'm looking at him, 33 starts last year. His last start of the year, he gave up six runs and four innings against Pittsburgh, the last start of the year. And we go down and he had a seven run in two innings against San Francisco uh, back in May. And he had a six run, five innings against the Cubs uh, back in June. Those are basically the only really bad outings. And this goes to the point that I was making you've got three, four starts, bad starts out of 33 starts. You can live with that, by the way, and especially at this price range. But that's a pretty good percentage that you're going to get a start that, you know, you're going to get a ton of strikeouts. And look at the strikeout numbers. Six, I'm just working back from the last start. Six, 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 four, six, eight, eight, six, eight, five, seven, ten. But you're going to get the strikeouts in the start. And chances are he's not going to blow you up. He's not very flammable at all. I love that in the back end of my rotation. If you got two guys, you got two stud starters and this guy behind them, you're feeling pretty comfortable. Yeah. And if you're in like a standard Roto League, um, I, even I would say, you know, a weekly Roto League, a weekly categories league, um, and you have a situation like that where a guy gives up, say, six runs in three innings, which is terrible and you're frustrated and you hate it. But if he also puts out five, six strikeouts in those three innings, yep. Uh, which Tyler Molly is a guy who could do, who could do that. Uh, you know, I always sit there and say, well, he got me the six strikeouts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll take the six strikeouts. Um, and I feel like that's, that's kind of the difference there. Yes. Um, those guys in that range, there are risks to them again. Um, they all have the risks they have. Generally, most of those guys have potential to have those blow up starts, which are frustrating, but they get they get me the strikeouts and and that's a category and that's predictable and not to mention I feel like Tyler Molly's a guy who could deliver in the other categories as well if if he puts it all together develop another pitch and oh by the way home split five sixty three ERA away split two thirty ERA and trade he threw, him. A, he, he threw he threw a hundred innings pitched away from home with a two thirty ERA last year seventy eight innings pitched at home with a five sixty three ERA he gave up nineteen of the twenty four homers that he gave up last year at home. Great American Ballpark is a really good offensive ballpark. <laughs> I, I, I think people forget that sometimes. We know Coors is Coors. We know, you know you know a couple other places that are elite offensive ballparks, but man, Great American Ballpark is a really good offensive ballpark. And so, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, T Tyler Molly, if he was starting on the Mets, um, I mean, that I'm, oh, I'm telling you, that could be a sub three ERA. Yeah. I, well, again, away from home, he was a 230 ERA. He was vastly yeah. sub three. So this is a situation where we go back to my philosophy. You get a couple studs and then you get yourself a, an orchestra of starting pitchers where you get a couple extra starting pitchers where you can pick and choose starts. And maybe you get to put down one of those home starts against a good offense for Tyler Malley and you make him a much better pitcher. It's basically platooning with starting pitchers. Just take the starts that they're relatively successful on. Weak offenses away from home, and maybe you stay away from the Dodgers when they come to Cincinnati or something like that. And you make a much better pitcher out of the guy you got, probably at a pretty good price. And for what it's worth, our, our Fantastics projections have him at a 398 ERA, but 190 Ks. Yep. And where are you going to get 190 Ks that late in the draft? It's 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 hard to get that. Um, and so 190 Ks this day and age with the you know, amount of innings these starters are pitching, um, that's really good. And again, uh, predictability of stats, ERA is almost as unpredictable as wins. If you look at the correlations in the help section and some of the stuff we put out, there's an article by Anthony Perry every year about predictability of stats and things like that. Go look for that. We know wins aren't predictable. We don't weigh them so much. So if Tyler Malley put up a 425 or a 370 or a 365, I wouldn't be surprised either way. That's sequence of returns right there. Same pitcher, 
just different outcomes because he had on a couple of homers, he had a couple walks instead of, or a, a bloop and a walk and a three run homer as opposed to a solo homer. So, uh, or he gave up that long fly ball in one ballpark as opposed to Cincinnati and, and gets a little better. So that, but the strikeouts are predictable. You're going to get them. It, you can depend on getting a high number of strikeouts from Tyler Miley because that's a highly predictable, uh, highly predictable stat. Yeah. And that's why I said he's a 10 to 11 K per nine guy. And so the projections have him at 175 innings. That's 190 Ks right there. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's just ultimately what you're probably going to get from him. Um, you know, unless things really go haywire, as you feel pretty good about those 10 to 11 Ks. So give me 175 innings. There's, I don't think there's any reason he shouldn't get that as long as he's healthy. Um, and so I, I feel just really confident in those 190 Ks, um, which at once you start to get later into that glut of starting pitchers, it's just hard to find that. You're not going to find a lot of guys who are going to hit you 190 Ks. Uh, you're going to find plenty of guys who are capable of a 398 ERA, maybe even a 35 ERA, some of those guys at that level. Um, but with the risk of going to a 4-5 ERA, I mean, it's just like the, the variance in those other categories is so high. Uh, that even some of those guys who I really like for ERA at that point in the draft or as we get later in the draft, I, I can't say I feel great about it. I do feel great about Molly getting 190 Ks, you know, as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, and again, we take out that last start of the year, six runs and four innings against Pittsburgh on the last start of the year. I, I don't, I haven't done the math, but I'm guessing that brings down his ERA quite a bit and makes and probably changes his ADP just a few points in ERA because we depend on ERA so much. But it's a highly volatile stat, and it's just again that if he had just sat down that last start instead of making it for whatever reason he had a bad start, you know, it's getaway day, you know, for the season. Who knows? Uh, I got to fit in another player here, and I'm going to have to recuse myself a little bit on Eduardo Rodriguez because I just roll my eyes every time I hear his name <laughs> because I've just been inundated with him with the Red Sox from the point where he was quote unquote a number one starter here when he was young because up here in Boston we always think all of our kids are great. And it just never really returned that promise. But at times he looked really good and he struggled a little bit last year, but still the strikeouts were there. In fact, his strikeout rate was his career high. Yeah, I, I really like Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, you know, we, we've mentioned him before and his ERA was troublesome last year. I, there was a lot of bad luck with Eduardo yeah. Rodriguez. Um, he had 69% LOB, uh, 363 BABIP, 343XFIP, three, three ultimately. So he, he had a 4.73 ERA last year. That was bad luck. He's not a 4.7 ERA guy. And his he never ex, has. His XFIP was a 3.43, which was, by the way, a career high. Right. Career best. Yeah. So yeah. He, you could make the argument he actually was pitching his best last year. Um, he had some bad luck. Um, I, I really chalked that up. So I would think that you could feel pretty confident that that ERA is coming down this year. Um, but again, putting that aside, even if you say, well, uh, I, I, you know, he's been a, a sub four ERA guy his whole career until last year, but let's say you feel like, okay, I'm worried about last year. And I think he might end up with a four, two ERA or four, three ERA, even if it comes down from last year. Okay. That's disappointing. You want more than that, but you're going to get the strikeouts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he, what I like about Eduardo Rodriguez is he has, I mean, he has a very complex pitch mix, um, uh, deep pitch mix, and he has pitches that are good for swings and misses. He also has pitches that he pitches to contact a little bit and, you know, is going for batted ball outs um, like his sinker. His sinker generates is, is not a is not really an out pitch. It's not a strikeout pitch, uh, but it generates a lot of ground ball outs. Um, but then he's got a nice fastball changeup, um, not elite. 92 mile per hour fastball, only a seven mile per hour delta to his changeup. Um, but it's unpredictable and it does get a lot of whiffs um, because he's got good motion on it. Um, and so ultimately, you know, he had a career high, like you mentioned, uh, 20 uh, career high XFIP or career low, I guess, XFIP, career high 28.1% CSW rate. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think he's relying a bit more on his fastball and change it. We'll see if things change now on a different team in Detroit, um, which is we're seeing a little bit more aggressiveness from opposing hitters, mm -hmm. which is ultimately good for K's. And yep. uh, I think that remains this year. I think he's going to get a lot of K's again this year. Um, the ERA, I can't tell you, but 
Fantastics projections have them at a 201Ks, at 201Ks. Again, at <laughs> that good. level yeah. where you're getting them, yep. that's huge. And by the way, moving out of the AL East, going to the AL Central here on top of it, and I'll, if I'll calm you down about the ERA, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is a bit of a head case, had a struggle in 2020, had COVID issues in 2020, and health issues from COVID after that, and lost the back end of 2020. Took him a while to get going last year. He had a 5.52 ERA in the first half of last season, a 3.71 ERA and 68 innings pitched in the last half of the season. So he put it together a little bit. You know, got himself, you know, he's had health issues over the course of the year and has never really been able to settle in, but pitched well down the stretch. So don't be too fearful about that ERA from last year. No, I mean, if you, if you, if I'm a betting man and I'm going, I am, and I'm going over under four ERA, I'm going under and I'm putting my money comfortably on that. Obviously it's, there's some luck there and he could have bad luck and it could end up over. But I think. I think Eduardo Rodriguez is a sub four ERA guy. Like you said, I think he's in, even in a better situation now because he's in a worse division uh, that really only has one good offensive team um, and in, in a better ballpark too um, in Detroit. So ultimately, yeah, I, I feel confident he's going to end up with a sub four ERA, but that's not even the point. It's that, yeah, he might end up with a four, two, four, three ERA, um, because there is some variance there at that level. And, I, you know, he's not the ace that maybe Red Sox fans wanted him to be. Um, so I don't I don't feel good about him getting like a three one ERA. I, I no. you know, I do think he's in the high threes um, and maybe into the fours. But I feel confident in the K's. Ultimately, Did I you, feel confident in the strikeouts at the price. He's going for a sub four ERA and 200 strikeouts. What's not to like? No, and I feel like maybe because it's that ERA, I think, scaring people off. Yeah. I think he's just highly underrated in the draft right now. Um, you know, I mean, the guys he's going around ADP-wise, Ranger Suarez, you yeah. know, uh, Luis Severino, we're not exactly sure what we're going to get out of him. Adam Wainwright's right after him. Well, I it's mean, about resetting your expectations because we always thought Eduardo Rodriguez was a top half of the rotation starter, and he may not be that, but he's still good. And you look at him as a disappointment if you look at him as a number one or number two, and I, I wouldn't be comfortable with him as a number one or number two, but where you can slot him as your third starting pitcher, for example, or your fourth starting pitcher and get him at the price that you're getting him at, he's gonna he's not only going to not disappoint you, he's going to give you more than you paid for. I'll tell you what, if... If I'm in a draft, and obviously draft format or league format matters, but if I'm in a draft and I end up with one of those top starters, uh, you know, say I have um, Shane Bieber, mm-hmm. and then I wait and I get Tyler Molly and then Eduardo Rodriguez, I can live with that. I, I feel like my pitching staff's in a decent enough place. I'm going to have to attack pitching, you know, as we go on, but I, I can live with that. Those are strikeout guys. I feel confident in the strikeouts from all three of them. Um, and I'm hoping the ERA comes along. Yeah, but at worst, there's a floor there, and at worst, they're a four ERA guy, and you're going to get close to 400 strikeouts out of the two of them. Yeah, and we just don't – I mean, ERA is so difficult to, to predict. And so, right. you know, you could try to go really heavy on pitching early in the draft, and maybe you're successful – but guys have bad luck, things happen, and you may end up with a worse ERA as it is. It's just not – not that you don't – it's not that you ignore it, of course not, but it's just not a – uh, category that you can really feel confident in at any level. Plus and you, so, but you can feel confident in the strikeouts. Plus you backload your, you backload your rotation and your starting p- pitching roster spots a little bit so that you can look at that. The Yankees come into, well, in Eduardo Rodriguez view, still with the Red Sox, the Yankees come into Fenway. Maybe you sit Eduardo Rodriguez down. That's a good idea, by the way. <laughs> never really good against the Yankees, never good in Yankee Stadium. <clears throat> but you get them out of the worst situations where the volatility is most likely to happen. And Eduardo Rodriguez, by the way, 590, 595 ERA at home, 3.95 away from home last year. You, you find the situations, if you can have enough starting pitchers on your staff, so you can find the situations where you take these guys out of their worst case scenarios. And you're going to, again, it's the whole concept of platooning. You get a much better pitcher than you paid for just by eliminating the highest risk possibilities in the starts. Yeah. And ultimately, this is kind of what I've been saying with starting pitchers, too, is um, and again, depending on how your league is, if it's daily uh, lineup changes or even weekly lineup changes too. you know, with starters, that's a little easier um, because, you know, they're projected starts for the most part. But 
you know, once you get into these later rounds, yeah, I mean, yes, if you get one of those top starters in the top three, four rounds, you're starting them every week, regardless right. of their opponent. I, yep. I, you know, we get that. But the whole idea of once you start to get later on with these pitchers is you're not just looking at what is his ending ERA going to be. It's what is his ERA when he's in my active lineup. Yep. And so if you play it right and you, you know, put together a pitching staff that you do have some streaming possibilities and you can move guys around, um, then, yeah, you, you know, you bench Eduardo Rodriguez if he's at Yankee Stadium. Um, so that that start where he gives up six runs is going to hurt his season ERA. doesn't hurt your ERA, though. Exactly. Yep. And so even if he ends up with a 4-2 ERA, maybe in your lineup, he only ended up with a 3-5 ERA because you played it right. But again, if you missed it, if you start him against, you know, the Pirates, he's in the American League, but now they're going to start moving to playing the opposing. I just say the Pirates because of the worst yeah. lineup. So sure. that's the easy one. But if you play him against the Pirates and he just ends up having a horrible start and gives up six runs anyways, which you, you which is frustrating, I still feel good he's going to get me some strikeouts. And so right. ultimately, that's what we're, we're going with is the guy who, yeah, there's risk every time he goes out there that he might have a bad start. Truthfully, okay, there's risk with anyone. But insiderbaseball.com. You know. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, we're running long, and we got to get yeah. to the serious show here. Uh, insiderbaseball.com is where you can find a lot of great information, preseason prep articles, analytics articles. This podcast and the past episodes help catch you up quickly as you're getting ready for your drafts this spring after the late start because of the lockout. The Fantastics Draft Advisory Program. We talked about it a lot during the show. Go check it out. Download the free demo and go play with it a little bit. Uh, that's at uh, InsideOfBaseball.com as well. We're on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, Sirius 210, XM 87, Saturdays and Sundays, 11 to 1. We'll catch you the next time Let's on go. the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Let's go.